Good morning, church. Good to be together. Oh, it's been a great summer, hasn't it? I was thinking back about all that we've done this summer, all the activities that we've planned, and it's been exciting. And not so much that we've done a bunch. I mean, I think this has probably been one of the most action-packed summer we've ever had in the life of our church. I can't think of one where we had more events. But it, I've loved, I've been so encouraged this summer seeing the connections that people are making. Not just the events, but the deeper connections and friendships and community that's, that's forming, right? Whether it was the gentle and lowly study, the women's Roman study in view of God's mercy, the engaging in the homelessness training, the church barbecue and baptism at Angle Lake. Whoop, that was sweet. We had many church potlucks. We've had church on the lawn. We've had our friends from Louisiana up, uh, the mission team helping to fix the building. We've served at the Waterland Festival. We've served with the Des Moines area churches at the farmer's market on Saturday mornings. In August, we had a Mariners game. We had a pool party. We had child dedications. It's just been so full, and I feel like my heart is full. I love you guys. I love this church. And, and what I love is that we're not just trying to be a church that's meeting together once a week, and then we have separate lives. We really want to be invested in each other. We really want to know each other. We want to love one another. So it's an honor and a, a joy to be a part of this church. So thank you, guys. I, I feel blessed to, to be a part of it. I'm going to get emotional if I keep going on that. So let's, let's look at the text, if you haven't already. Uh, let me invite you to 2 Samuel chapter 9. In our Bibles, we have these two books, First and Second Samuel, and they're originally just broken up because of scroll length. So it's really just one long story. It's called Samuel. So don't picture movies like Top Gun and Maverick, right, where it's different times, different characters, really different stories. Picture like, remember the old, they call them VHS? Remember those? And remember movies that were super long that came on two? Picture something more like that. So Titanic, The Godfather, Gone with the Wind, The Great Escape, The Sound of Music. It's more like that. It's, it just was broken up because they didn't have enough time on the tape or on the scroll. It's one big story. And in our story today, 2 Samuel 9, we're going to see the kindness of King David. And it's going to reflect the kindness of God. So I'd like to consider this morning, what kind of kindness does David show? How, what is the kindness of God? And how do we live in light of it? So those are, that's where I want to go with the sermon. That sound good? Amen. Sweet. That's what I prepared in my notes. So <laughs> that's where we're going. <laughs> First, let's look at the kindness of God. 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. David said, he's asking this question. Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So just a chapter before, 2 Samuel 8, we kind of were given a, a summary chapter of the military victories of King David. And we were told, whether it was from the north or the south or the east, God granted victory on every side for David. He had all these victories. And now we're going to kind of zoom in a little bit into a particular instance in the life of David where he's, he's showing this kindness for Jonathan's sake. And we're told there was a servant from the house of Saul. And they called him and said, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there still not someone among the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And keep that verse in your mind. That's important. 
We're going to hang out there for a little bit. But the kindness that he wants to show there is clarified. It's the kindness of God to him. And the servant says, yes, there is still a son, Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. And David asks, where is he? And after the servant tells him, King David sends for him and brings him into his house. And we continue in verse six. And Mehibosheth, what a name. Great job reading that over and over again. Mehibosheth, Mephibosheth. I have slight dyslexia, so if I butchered that name, guys, I'm sorry. I'm referring to this character most of the time. <laughs> Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Now picture this. This guy is crippled in both feet. We're told at the end of the story that he's lame in both feet. And he's falling down and he's paying homage. So this would have been painful to do. This is, a, this is an act of great honor in worship. He's falling down on his feet. And he's calling himself a dead dog, which is kind of cultural. I don't, we don't necessarily use that term as much, I don't think. I haven't, I don't, it's not common vernacular for me, but it's a, it's a term of humility, self-deprecation. He's like, why are you considering me? He's astonished, he's amazed that King David would show, show such kindness and grace to him. Who am I? What is your servant? Then the king said to him, Saul's servant, all that belonged to Saul and all to his house I have given to your master's grandson and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Mephibosheth is invited to essentially be like a son to the king. He's always going to eat at my table. And David keeps this promise. He says, is there someone from Saul's lineage that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? It's a reference back in the story of Samuel. Jonathan kind of knew things with his dad weren't going well. He knew that David was going to become king. And he asked David, hey, when you become king, remember, remember me and my family. 1 Samuel 20, starting in verse 14, says this. Jonathan is talking to David. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Elsewhere, when Saul, Jonathan's dad, the former king of Israel, realizes (laughs) David's more righteous than me, he's going to become the next king. He says a similar thing in chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. And now behold... Saul is talking to David, I know that you shall surely be king and that your kingdom of Israel shall be established into your hand. Swear to me therefore by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now it's a little bit different in our society and culture because when we have a president that is sworn into office, the The president doesn't go next and destroy the previous family of the president. 
so that there's no more threat to the throne. We don't, that's, that would be really strange and violent and awkward for us. But in, in, in the ancient time, in, in monarchies and in nations where the king ruled, this, is, this was a common practice. Like if you didn't do this, you were kind of a dummy. If you became king, you would kill the, the previous family so there was no threat to the throne. It's what typically would happen when a new king came into power. So there's this descendant of Saul. He survived. He's crippled in both feet. And he hears, hey, the king, the king wants to see you. He's probably thinking, oh. it's like not like he can run away, right? He's afraid. The king is searching for you to find him. He's probably expected to be killed. And David, David is coming for him. And he, he doesn't just say, don't be afraid. I'm not going to kill you. He doesn't just say that. He says, I'm going to restore to you your grandfather's fields. And, and I'm going to give you these fields. And this is going to essentially provide income for you for years. Like you don't have to worry about your family. All these fields are restored to you. And not only are these fields restored to you, but you're invited into my presence. You're going to share fellowship with me every day. You're going to eat at my table. This is what, when David says in verse three, is there, is there someone still in the house of God that I may show him the kindness of God to him? The kindness of God is not simply being nice. Kindness is not simply a matter of being nice to someone like, I, you know, growing up, your mom corrects you. Oh, Daniel, be nice. <laughs> not something like that. Kindness is something far greater. The kindness of God is something far deeper than that because I think of the heart behind it and the duration of it and the conditions of it. Kindness is described as the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. It's about caring for other people that's helpful and generous. The word that's used in the Hebrew text is this word, hesed, which you can translate as loyal love, faithful love, steadfast love. It's, it's defined as keeping a solemn commitment toward a covenant partner, not so doing merely out of a sense of duty, but with affectionate concern for the other's well-being. All right, so we can be kind, like I'm going to be kind to you so that you can be kind to me, right? It can be reciprocal. This is why sometimes when someone's not kind to us, then we're like, oh, forget you. I don't need to be kind to you now. <laughs> Cards are shown, right? This is not that kind of kindness. It's not kindness out of a sense of duty. Translations use the word loving kindness, steadfast love, Goodness, it's a word that combines the ideas of unconditional love, generosity, and faithful commitment and loyalty. So when God describes himself to Moses in the book of Exodus, this is what God says about himself. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in hesed, steadfast love and faithfulness. Right, when Moses is teaching the people of Israel in the wilderness, he's Deuteronomy, it's recorded. This is what Moses says. Know that the Lord your God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love. This is who God is. This is, who, this is how he's described. With those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. When the people of Israel are responding and rejoicing and praise and thanksgiving to God, because the, the new temple, the foundation has been laid. The temple is going to be rebuilt in Ezra. The people sing this giving thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love, has said, endures forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. One of the most popular, famous Psalms in the whole Bible, Psalm 23, you might know this line. 
Surely goodness and has said shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy, surely goodness and unfailing love, surely goodness and faithfulness, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me. Psalm 136 opens with this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love, his said endures forever. And then it repeats that 26 times. Prophet Isaiah 54.10, for the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of peace shall not be removed from you, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Why does he have compassion? Why does he do these things? He is a God of steadfast love. It's not going to depart from his people. He's that committed to them. Jeremiah 29.24, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understand and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices, has said, steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. It's not just, okay, made this promise to Abraham. I made the mistake of repeating it to Isaac and Jacob. And oh gosh, now we have a whole nation. They had 12 sons. I'm just committed to these people now. Even after all the rebellion, they're, they're worshiping other gods, they're sacrificing their own, their own kids, they're murdering each other and their babies. And God's saying, I delight to show steadfast love. Not a duty, it's a delight. It's amazing. Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast Lord of the, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Daniel 9.4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who, the first thing they say, it's amazing, keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Joel 2.13, render your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Why should you return to the Lord? He delights in this love, in this kindness. Micah 7.18, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever. Why? Because he delights in steadfast love. This is everywhere in the Old Testament. This is just some of the verses. This, This word is mentioned like 250 times. I don't have time to quote all those things, but this is how the Lord is described. Faithful love, covenant love. God has said, the kindness of God, God's kindness abounds for his people. The kindness of God endures forever. The kindness of God is a a kindness that he delights to show. He has compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. It's a committed love. It's a love that covers sins, transgressions. Rebellion doesn't diminish or thwart this love. It's a love that is appealing to those to return to him. This is the kindness of God. The kindness of God is promise-keeping, unfailing, loyal, generous, abounding. You can't deplete it. It's initiating. It causes God to have compassion and respond. It doesn't arise because people are kind to God. (laughs) Thank God for that. It's not simply a smile and a nod at the grocery store. It's not superficial. It's not light. It's not momentary. It's not from a place of duty. It's a comes from a place of pure goodness and warm affection for his people. This is the kindness of God. He says, I want to show the kindness of God to someone. 
this, this might be what David has in mind, these Old Testament scriptures. So how does David reflect this kindness of God? This is what it is. Well, first, he's faithful to the promise given to Jonathan. That's what he says. Verse 1. Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? The kindness of God is reflected in the fact that it's a promise-keeping love. It doesn't go back on his word. He honors the covenant that he made with Jonathan. Verse 7. Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. So how does David reflect the love of God? That's a promise-keeping kind of kindness. Secondly, David reflects the kindness of God because it's the initiating kind of kindness. Look what he says there. Who first initiates showing this kindness? Not Mephibosheth. Hey, remember that covenant you made? David? Yeah? We don't even know if he knows about that. David says, is there someone left that I may show the kindness of God to? Where is he? I'm looking for someone to show kindness to. That's sweet. He's not only promising it, he's not only initiating it, he's, he's not like the friend or spouse. I can be guilty of this. <laughs> Promise my wife I'll do something and then I don't initiate it. She has to keep asking me. I'm trying to work on that, right? This is a community of grace. I can bear my sins to you. But he's not just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jonathan, I'll do that for you. But by the time it actually comes around, he's like, oh, I forgot. I was too busy doing other things. It's not like the complacent father who overpromises and underdelivers. This, this kindness is shown. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. I'm coming for you to bring the kindness of God to you. So it's promise-keeping. It is, what did I just say there? Initiating, promise-keeping is initiating. It's also welcoming. It says, come into my house, into my table. You're going to eat at my table always. The kindness of David is shown in the fact that Mephibosheth is treated as one of David's own sons. You're going to eat at my table always. This is, this is a bringing in kind of a kindness. And fourthly, I think it reflects the love of God, the kindness of God, because it's generous. All the fields restored. All the land given back. Lavish, shocking. <laughs> Eat at my table. So it's promise keeping. It arises from his heart. It's, it's not because of what Mephibosheth did. It's honoring the covenant of someone else. The kindness is based on the promise. It's initiating kindness. He's asking, where is, where is someone from the house of Saul? that I may show the kindness of God to you. It's a welcoming kindness. He brings them into his family, into his table, and it's a generous kindness, right? Initiating, promise-keeping, welcoming, generous kindness. And we're in need of this kind of kindness, aren't we? Amen. Ultimately, I think this is what the story points to, the kindness of Jesus. And we can listen to TED Talks on the importance of kindness, the power of kindness. You can read articles Watch little clips of how one act of kindness a day can change your life. Small acts of kindness can create global impact. There's actually some pretty interesting benefits of kindness. I was reading about, uh, there's this emergency room physician, a guy named Dr. Brian Goldman. He wrote this book on the power of kindness, but he says this, when you're unkind, 
your blood pressure and heart rate go up. It's actually emotionally taxing to be unkind. <laughs> Most of us don't realize that. We act like kindness is a precious supply of a non-renewable resource, but it is a completely renewable resource. Act kinder and people will act kinder in return. Then they'll pay it forward to others and the world will be a kinder place and things will work better. It doesn't mean bureaucracies will stop being bureaucracies or snafus won't happen, but people will be better and they'll feel better off themselves. I think that's true. But the appeal there is, what's the appeal? You. It'll benefit you, right? In research on married couples, they found that one of the most important predictors of a stable and successful marriage is, are they kind? According to a writer, uh, it was tw about 20 years ago, there was this meeting of the American Association of Advanced Science. Researchers revealed the results of kindness and the impact that it had how important it is to show kindness on a day-to-day -day interaction. So they did this study. Experiment of researchers, they gave 44 doctors the symptoms of a hypothetical patient and then asked for each doctor's diagnosis of the illness. So 44 doctors, hypothetical patient. But the real point of the study was not how well the doctors would respond or diagnose the illness, because before the experiment began, half of the doctors were given a bag of candy simply as a way of saying thank you, as a token of appreciation. Thank you for being involved in this study. And the other doctors received nothing. <laughs> no candy for them. A Cornell University psychologist said the doctors receiving the candy, get this, were far more likely to correctly diagnose the patient's problem. Pleasant feelings, states, give rise to altruism, helpfulness, and improved interpersonal processes. So you can say, kindness is a good thing. Like, we should be kind, shouldn't we? Just from a personal benefit. Or the power of candy, right? Kind of a toss-up. Candy is powerful. Both things. Yes, thank you, Pam. But I've found, if you try, if the source of your kindness is you, or your personal benefit, you'll soon become bitter. Because there are people that you can smile and be so kind to, and they will never reciprocate it. Let me tell you. <laughs> Fortunately, people in the church, man. If the source of our kindness is ourselves, and or the promise of your life will be better, what happens when your life doesn't get better? People still walk over you. They treat you poorly. Forget kindness. I'm going to write off people. They're the worst. I don't trust anyone. People are horrible. I stick to myself and my little family. Kindness has a limit. You can push my kindness to a limit, and then you're going to get the real me, not the kind, nice me. I feel like you, you haven't been kind to me. This means now the license of passive aggression has been handed to me. Thank you. <laughs> right? Guess what I'm talking about? I've found that an experience with, with God an experience with the grace of God is the only true source of everlasting kindness. Amen? When we have an experience with the very kindness of God, it has a way of changing the very motivation of why we are kind. It's not because of how it benefits me. It's not because of duty or social pressures. It's simply because we have been shown this great kindness in God and we can't wait to show it to someone else. 
We've seen the kindness of God in this story. We've seen how David reflects it. And now let's consider how Jesus is kind with us, shall we? After David's reign ends, things go horribly wrong for Israel. There's just king after king who's like, they get worse. They just get horribly worse. So much so that God has to remove the people from the land. Like I need to, it's like discipline. <laughs> Israel's in a timeout. They're going to leave the promised land and, and they need to learn to listen and obey. Of course, that wouldn't happen. But God promises there's going to be a time where I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and he's actually going to indwell the people and the people are going to want to obey my commands. It's going to be this new covenant. This new covenant is going to be uh, supplied and purchased by new blood. So God sends this guy named Jesus. And God's initiating kindness is shown as Jesus comes to save people who didn't ask for it. He initiated. Even after humanity's long history of being unkind to each other, violence and death reigned in humanity. God still kept his promise to his people and was fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus comes, he becomes human. He is the most ultimate, loyal, kind, and gracious king. When people offend him, when people uh, scorn and mock at him, when they accuse him, when they hit him, when they malign him, he responds in kindness and forgiveness. Jesus was so kind to you that while you were distant from God, he was coming after you. He was searching for you. And God was so kind to you that his kindness for you overflows, not because of what you've done, will do, or past, present, and future, whatever those statements are, it's not because of what you've done, but because of the promise to Christ. It's like, like God, who can I show kindness to for the sake of my servant Jesus? Is there another way you can think about that? Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, it, it creates this new way to live with God, with others. You get a new heart. You get a new identity. You get a new community. You, you get a new personhood. You get a new center. Everything changes. And this kindness of God, this steadfast love of God, this loving kindness of God, when you consider this, when you're gripped by this, when you're moved by this, it wants to work its way out. You want to reflect it. Friday night, I took Addison to a Mariner game. And Addison loves fireworks. So I found a game that has fireworks after the game. It was Ichiro Mariners Hall of Fame weekend. So Friday night, they were going to have fireworks after the game. And of course, you know, Addison's bedtime is 8 o'clock, maybe. It's late, 8.30. So I'm pushing it with a game. And it's, a gr it's really a great game. It really is a great game, and it goes into extra innings. And 10th inning comes, and Addison's like, Dad, I really want to go to bed, but I really want to see the fireworks. When's this game going to be over? Because she's stuck nine innings. So I told her. Well, unless it goes into extra innings. Well, the team who scores next, unless the Mariners score next more, wins. So let's see. 11 innings, right? Super late. And then they say after 15 minutes from the game, there's going to be fireworks. So we're up super late but she's so excited that she got to see fireworks. And we go to the Mariner team store and say, Addison, I'd love to get you a gift. What would you like? And she says, I really want to get Avery a gift. And it showed me the power of, like, 
she wasn't expecting something from the team store. And, and what she was most excited about was a foam finger. <laughs> it was a, it's like the cheapest, one of the cheapest things there, right? That's what she was all about. It's like, this is, this is, this is how we reflect. Like we, we're not the source, we, re, we reflect it. As I was coming home up, up 509, I saw this light. It was got, it got smaller, and then all of a sudden it got super big in my mirror. You guys know when this happens? And then just like four or five bikers. I mean, they must have been going 100, just weaving, flying by me. And have you ever had that moment where you're in the car and you look like you would either adjust the rear mirror or you look up and you're kind of startled because someone is so close behind you, like semi-truck is coming and barreling down on you? Like if you drive in Texas, you better be moving if you're in that left lane because these big trucks, they just come right up on you. And it's startling. And what's startling is not because that thing appeared out of nowhere. It's because you just saw it. You just saw the reflection. And, and that's like, I think, what reflecting the love of God is. We reflect the love of God, the love of God, the kindness of God, not when we're the source. We don't conjure up this kindness. We don't muster it up. We don't draw it out. We just adjust the mirror. We reflect it. We're able to show it because we adjusted who and what we're reflecting. And this is how the kindness of God works. We are not the source. But as we focus on the kindness of God that we ourselves personally have received, that changes us. It's a gift of sheer grace, and we extend this kindness freely to others. As Jesus said, said you receive without paying, therefore give without pay. There's a sense in which we don't really even need the kindness reciprocated to us because the source from which we're receiving is never depleted. It's just abounding for us. So as the kindness we've received was initiated to us, we are given the opportunity, church, to initiate that kindness with others. That's, that's the response that we can have. As the kindness of God was shown to us, welcoming us in to the family of God, we, we're given the opportunity, the calling, to welcome others into the family of God. As we welcome the sinner and the sufferer like we ourselves are, as we welcome the orphan and the widow, as we welcome every nation and tribe and tongue into the family, we're reflecting the love and kindness of God. And as we've been generous and abounding, we've been shown this kind of abounding, generous kindness. We're not cheap with kindness. We don't want to be stingy. We're not going to value village because we have a little bit of kindness. Although I do like looking for deals, right? We have been given an endless supply in Christ. We can never, like, we can just, just think about those movies where they just, they're just throwing around cash, right? And just light it on fire. We can destroy it, and it's just going to keep coming back. We can never run out of it. It's amazing. Jesus has searched for us. He has found us. He has initiated. He has welcomed. He has been generous. He has treated us like his own family. He has welcomed us so that we get to have fellowship at the table with the king. So may we live out of response for that. Amen? May we call others into what we ourselves have been called into and give God the glory. So may we worship him now. May we thank him. May we respond in joy and adoration and thankfulness. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness shown toward us. Your promise-keeping, initiating, welcoming, generous kindness, your loyal kindness. At one time, we were foolish and disobedient. We were deceived. 
we were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy. We hated and we hated one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, you saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of your mercy, Father. You saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You poured it out to us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that, having been justified by your grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So Father, help us to believe and to receive your kindness and to reflect your kindness to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before we have a time of communion, uh, 